Good morning, Sanctuary. Good morning. Good morning. I'm thrilled and happy uh, to be with you. Um, will you pray with me, please? Uh, may the words of our mouths uh, and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. In the past few weeks, um, the pastoral staff has offered suggestions on how we might approach scripture. Um, AD suggests that we find ourselves caught up um, in the grand, in God's grand story through looking at scripture, while David suggests that we look at our sacred texts, not as rule books, not, for, not approaching with answers to direct questions, but hoping to find a true encounter with the living God. Tom asks us through his sermon, did our hearts not burn, echoing the conversation between Jesus and two friends on the road to Emmaus? I'd like to pick up here and go forth. The heart sits in the body. What is this burning heart? It is our body responding to the word of God. It's an invitation to come deeper. The body is at the core of any approach to scripture. And it is at the core of every story because our body is the primary way in which we understand the world. It's the primary way in which we experience the world and thus experience scripture. Our living body, our breathing, our smelling, our touching, our hearing body is our primary method, our primary medium for which we experience the world. Jesus healed bodies. He raised bodies from the dead. He called bodies to respond to him Jesus, bodies were impulsively drawn to Jesus, climbing trees to see Jesus. Bodies were running towards him. Bodies were grabbing the hems of his garments. Bodies were running to testify what he did to their bodies in uh, testimony. The body, the body, our bodies at the center of our stories is at the center of the gospel. And yet, and yet our <laughs> bodies are not just our bodies, right? They're not like neutral canvases. Our bodies are gendered bodies. They're classed bodies. They're erased bodies. There are bodies that have sexual orientation. There are bodies that are disabled or abled bodies. They're diverse bodies. And so I'd like to suggest that our lived experience or how we experience the world through our bodies affects the way in which we encounter the scripture and thus affects the way in which we encounter the living God. That's it. there. <laughs> Um, and so, in traditional fashion, I'd like to do a little exercise with the church, if you can bear with me. I'm going to come in the middle of the aisle and ask you, on the count of three, to read something. And it's not a trick. It's just a little thing. If you can just go with it, uh, and we'll see what happens. Is that okay? Amen. So, on the count of three, can you tell me, if you're on this side and on this side, what you actually see? One, two, three. Thank you. Same thing, please. Can you tell me what you actually see from where you're sitting? One, two, three. Hey. What you might have found is that there is some conflict about what is actually on the page. And that is because given where, given, given where you are sitting in the room and your positionality or where you're positioned is how you are reading what you are reading. And that depending on your traumas, your joys, your privileges, your oppressions, your desires, they change the actually way, actual way you see because they are actually a part of you. And so we are not just approaching scripture with blank bodies. 
nor is the nor is our um the scripture necessarily always speaking to us in blankness is that we are coming with our race with our class with our gender with our background with our education we are coming to the text and we are bringing something with it as we are seeking to find uh, an encounter with god or seeking to find ourselves nestled in the story it is encapsulated by how we are read how we are trained where we come from that is a part of our reading strategy I'd like to share a, a scripture with you. Um, could I have the first scripture, please? This is uh, from the narrative, Jesus calmed the storm. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. The disciple woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? That's Mark uh, chapter 4, 35 through 41. I used to think that the guy who cried, um, and I'm going to use the King uh, James version of this, Master, curse thou not that we perish. How can you lie there asleep? I used to think, uh, this dude is kind of wimpy. Uh, he's without faith. Um, Jesus is literally sleeping right there. He's all good. And then, on a Thursday night, on my way back to Iowa City from Arizona, I found myself stranded in Chicago's O'Hare, which often happens to me. I'm often <laughs> stranded in Chicago here, and I cannot get home. And so um, I'm hangry, which is um, angry and hungry. I'm hangry. I'm annoyed. And because religiosity happens to be a part of my culture, um, there are times when I use Jesus, which is not quite appropriate, but it seems like the right time to say something about Jesus. Um, so I, I like walk up to the, to the gate agent and I'm saying, I say, ma'am, it's the start of everything, ma'am, when I'm really serious, ma'am, unless the Holy Spirit is raining down on you in here, I need you to fly these planes. And then like the look of, the look of terror on her face arrives. And then she said, well, we're doing the best we can. And I go, do better. <laughs> and not, you know, not my best Christ-like moment, for sure. Um, not my best Christ-like moment, for sure. Um, and then a little while later, she calls, oh, it's time to board the plane. I get on the plane, and uh, I do my quick little uh, on-the-plane prayer, because I'm actually afraid to fly. I don't, I don't enjoy it very much, but, but I have to fly in order to do the thing. So I'm off flying. And I say, Lord, don't let, the, let, let me land safely. Jesus, keep me safe. Keep everybody else here. I'm safe too. Keep us all safe, Lord. And off we go. For the first, like, I give 10 minutes. And this is from Chicago O'Hare to Cedar Rapids, because, you know, that's the way we go. We're trying to get out of here. Um, and, like, 15 minutes into the flight, sort of like in Mark, a great storm arose. And I hear the, the rain on the plane. And I'm like, it's all good. It's God got us. It's all good. We good. We good. <laughs> and then lightning in the distance I hear, and I'm like, oh, 
okay. And I like start to grip the seat, because that's how I do it, my arm, like just grip the seat. And then lightning seems to strike right near the plane, and we bank hard to the right, so we're like flying like this. And then immediately, in the tradition in which I'm raised, I start calling on the name of Jesus. Like, out loud. I'm like, Jesus, help us. Jesus, now, right now, Jesus. Now, right now, right now. Don't take no time. And if you can't come, send your daddy. Right now, Jesus, right now. It's true. And the person sitting next to me is, like, looking at me. But I don't care, actually, because I'm really... Really, I'm unabashedly calling on God. I'm unabashedly afraid. And then I start saying, Lord, don't just save me because I have a book to finish, Lord. I have good works to do. I'm, I'm, I haven't got married yet, Lord. Please don't, don't, don't just save me. Save all the other people on the ship too, Lord, on the plane. Um, I can't go now, Lord. I'm, I'm not even 40 yet, Lord. And so the ride is bumpy for like another 10 minutes. The captain lands the plane. I live, obviously, because I'm, I'm here. I live. Um, yes. Woo. Um, and now, after my heart raced, after this terror, after like audibly praying in a way that only Southerners and like evangelicals pray out loud for everybody to hear, um, uh, I realized in retrospect that I am asking the same question as the guy in Mark, which are two kind of questions nestled together, which is, Lord, do you care about me? Carest thou not that I perish? And where are you? Two same questions. And now the difference is the text hasn't actually changed. What's changed is my life experience, is that now I have some empathy for the disciple in Mark, because now from this new embodied experience, having experienced my own storm in the body, in my real body, not cerebrally, not like I theoretically understand, but I felt the real fear that I was actually going to die on this plane and with that, and I gazed back at the text, and it's as if I never had met the text before. From the center of my body outward, I see something that I could not have seen before and that I didn't know that I didn't see. So in the exercise that I sort of showed us maybe, kind of, is that there's A on one side and B on the other. And depending on where you are sitting in the room, you may have read an A or a B. But have you if you have changed your place in the seats or some other place, you would have read a different letter. And so our positionality or our location determines how we read and what influences where we are, our location or locationality, using another fancy word maybe, is imbued with our race and our class and our gender and our life experience. So there was something in Mark that I couldn't see, not because I didn't want to, but because I hadn't had the life experience yet that would have provided me with the information to see God yet anew. And after that terrible plane ride, I know more, a little bit more about God's character when he says he is, or when she says she is with me. I know something extra about what that means in the middle of a plane ride. And so not only is God's character revealed to me, but I also revealed myself to God in some ways, is that in the middle of my distress, I have to actually cry out loud, really out loud. Um, and, and possibly the out loudness of my crying or the fervor of my crying might have symbolized or might have given an implication to God where my faith in God may have been at the time. So both through this experience am I able to see myself differently. I'm also able to see the character of God differently. 
God is meeting me where I am right now. God is meeting us where we are right now. And not just cerebrally. We can understand through our bodies what God says when we see things in scripture that we didn't quite see before. That my story, like our pastor AD says, my story is wrapped up in God's story and that God's story doesn't quite end with revelations, but that my story is an addition to the very same text that I'm reading. It's a testimony. It's a part of the very same gospel that I'm reading. I'm included in God's great narrative. I'd like to give another example. Um, I'm thinking about uh, the rich young guy in Mark, I mean, in Matthew chapter 19. So a rich young guy comes to God and he says, like, ah, God, I want to I wanna live forever. I want to I wanna inherit eternal life. And God says, okay, love God as though you love yourself and love others as though you love yourself. And he says, yeah, but what else? And then God says something really complicated, like, if you want to be perfect, go sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor, and then you will have your treasures in heaven, then come and follow me. Matthew 19, 21. A person who's wealthy reading this text, maybe sitting over here maybe, might be called to action to give up their possessions, which is really, really hard. If you said to me right now, Chris, give up all of your possessions and sell them and give it to someone who's less fortunate than you, I think I'd have a hard time doing that, to be honest, and maybe many of us would. And yet, if you were a person with limited means sitting on the opposite side and you read this text, you might begin to expect that you might get something from people who are rich. And so you could actually be reading the same text, and depending on where you are sitting in the room or where you are sitting in your social location, you might interpret the word of God differently. But the important thing, or the important point, I think, uh, is to say when we approaching scripture, one might ask, what am I bringing to the table? And being really suspicious or critical or having reservations about what we think the text means as we find ourselves in the story, as we have an encounter with God, and as we feel our heart burn, but to continuously test what we think the scripture means with, what, with how we have been raised and how we've been reared. And I also want to say that this is also still yet separate from what we do with the interpretation that we get, because we are still responsible for the interpretation of what it does in the world for people and how it's used to either help people or hurt people so, A, what we're bringing to the table is still yet different than what you do with that interpretation that you have, who you help, who you hurt, who we hurt, who we help, who the church helps and hurt based off of what we think the text means. Um, I'm, a, I'm a dance teacher, and so I see a lot of really bad dances. I see a lot of really bad dances from graduate students. Um, and I make, yeah, this is true, and I hope there are no graduate students in the room, actually. This is a small town. Uh, and, and I make some bad dances myself. Not all the things I make is, is, is good. Uh, some of them are really, really bad. And particularly modern dancers, which is the genre which I create in, we're known to make some very terrible, terrible dances. And so often people, uh, many of uh, church family come to see these dances that I make, and they come, they go, Chris, what does this mean? And I go, ah, it means whatever you, whatever you think it means is what it means. Um, partially because I don't know what it means, because sometimes I'm making it in, in real time. And then sometimes because I think um, the, the meaning making is made between the relationship between the reader and the text. Is that, oh, between the reader and the painting, or between the reader and the song. Is that there could be multiple meetings, meanings hidden in a particular medium. Uh, and little babies uh, 
voicing their love does not bother me by any means. Um, and so there's a way in which um, scripture is actually different, though. Yes, scripture, we can have multiple meanings, or polyvalent is a word that fancy people sometimes use to say this, like the multiple readings of something. But the scripture also has an agenda. It has a mission. It's also planting seeds in us. I'm reminded, um, may I please see Isaiah uh, 55, 11, and 12, maybe. So is, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. The scripture is different than other texts, is I think that the scripture has an agenda so that we go out in joy even if we're coming to it with our own baggage, our own training, the scripture has its own mission to return back to God and not to return to him or her void, but to accomplish what it has intended to do. That is for us to go out in joy, for us to see God's love realized today and not tomorrow, to be able to find ourselves nestled in the text, is to be able to see the joy of God for us now. Um, I was in a small group, I'm the names of the people remain nameless, but I was in a small group a little while ago, maybe the beginning of last year or the end of last year, it's hard to say in the academic calendar, but um, I was in a small group and I particularly have a fondness for the co-suffering Christ. I think Christ is like a gay black dude suffering on the cross and in some ways suffering with me as I am like suffering. So I kind of need for Jesus to be in this stuff with me. And uh, a beautiful couple in our church community was like, yeah, but you know, Perhaps God's life is just as important as his suffering. And I was like, uh-uh, I'm not having it. Nope, I'm not interested in that interpretation. No, that doesn't seem right. I think God is suffering, and he need, I need, as a black gay dude in the particular country that I'm living in, under this administration that I'm living in, Jesus is suffering with me. Um, but if you might have heard a, a homily I might have given a couple Sundays back, I actually talked about the life of Christ being really important. And I talked a little bit less about his death being so important. And part of that comes from having been in community with people who think differently than I do, who nudged my thinking just to the left or to the right. And so I leave this conversation with this couple thinking, oh, they don't understand my position. And, and it's slightly arrogant because I, behind that is also, if I can be confessional, is like, I have a degree in the thing. I know what God says. <laughs> um, and and I know in part what God says. I know from where I sit and from the chair that I sit in what I think I know about God. And God has revealed to me, honestly, in my prayer and devotional practice, in part. But not, I don't know the fullness of God. I don't know the full mystery of God. But in, somehow in community, I begin to know God differently because someone else sees God differently. And the couple, later on, the couple came to me after church and was like, yeah, this has changed. Your, your thinking has changed since the last time you know, we've encountered you, or you know, we were in group together. And I'm like, yeah, you changed me, and more so God acting through you has changed me because God's life, him getting out of the grave, him resurrecting, is also a symbol for me getting out of my own graves and me resurrecting because community pushes me into life and God is in our community. And, and I might not know everything I think I know about God, <laughs> even with 
fancy degrees, so forth and so on. And I'm reminded of the hymn my grandmother used to sing, I'm just a closer walk with thee. And I'm not going to sing it for you because I can't sing. But um, uh, it would just be terrible for all of us, so I'm just going to spare us. But this the sense of a kind of pace with God, a sense of a kind of walk with God, a sense of a kind of relationship, a dialogue between us and the living God remains ever-present. And when I think about my time with friends who are beloved, beloved, deeply loved friends, is that you know them better and better as time goes on. And, they, and with new information, you see them yet again, fresh and new, every single time. It's as if we were college best friends and we had our own lives, and somehow we come back and we pick up exactly where we left off at, if you've ever had friends like that. Because the, somehow the relationship was so deep and so meaningful that time is stretched or compacted, and we pick up in our love for each other right where we left off. And somehow we see them new and different and yet somehow the same. In every corner I turn, I see God yet again, fresh and new. With every experience, embodied experience, I see God again, somehow fresh and new. And as those who participate in the Christian tradition, we have markers also to help us do this. Our communion is also a part of a body-based tradition that reminds us that God is in turn with us and coming back. And we do this in remembrance of him. We don't just think about it in remembrance of him. It's a body-based practice. We do this in our bodies in remembrance of God. Our baptism, we're baptized with our physical bodies in remembrance, a symbol for God. These happen in our bodies, and not just cerebrally in our thoughts. We're asked to wash each other's feet, like actually asked to wash each other's feet, bodies to bodies. And so our bodies is the center of our understanding of the Christian tradition, the center of our understanding of the living God. God raises our bodies from the dead, our actual bodies from the dead. God meets us exactly where we are because God is forever with us. We are full participants in the great narrative of God. We are full participants in his love, and he and she is full participants in ours. Amen. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, and for the word of God within us, praise be to the living God. Amen.